That is my prayer every time I stand before you at this pulpit, that the words of my heart and the med- of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable to God. Pastor James Love tells about a friend of his who serves at a large church, and this church hired a professional church fundraiser to help them with a large capital funds campaign, and this fundraiser told this story. At the initial meeting, the fundraiser asked the board about their goals for the campaign, and someone said, you have to understand that we are a church that has a high percentage of older people, mostly widows, on fixed incomes, and so we can't really expect to raise a whole lot of money. So the fundraiser asked to see a list of the major contributors to that church, and he took the list with him at the end of the meeting. Well, at the next meeting, they got together, and he told the board that he had done an analysis of the congregation's giving. And he said this in his report. He said, please note that the majority of your top 50 contributors are widows on fixed income. Please also note that according to my calculations, those widows on fixed incomes pay about 60% of this congregation's annual budget. I'd say that if you want to improve the giving in your congregation, you need to talk to those widows on a fixed income first, find out why they give, and then try to infect the rest of your congregation with the faith of those widows. Not a bad idea, huh? Pastor John Newell tells a a similar story. He says that years ago, a pastor friend of his preached a sermon on giving. And in that sermon, he talked about his brother, who most people thought of as a very generous contributor to the church. His gifts counted up to up in the tens of thousands of dollars every year. But the pastor called his brother a cheapskate. I mean, after all, his brother was a multimillionaire who could afford to give much, much more. Then he went on to say that there was a poor widow in his church who gave an even more, even more than this wealthy brother gave. The actual amount in dollars was less, but her level of commitment to Jesus Christ far exceeded that of his brother. He continued that at one point, this woman decided to give up her monthly appointment at the beauty parlor so that she could make an extra gift to the building program. And so the pastor went to see this woman to tell her that that's not really necessary for you to do this. I mean, after all, this appointment that she felt was a luxury was one the one pleasure that she had in her life. And she enjoyed going to the beauty parlor and, and talking with the people there. There was a connection of, of, of socializing for her. But when the pastor tried to have her keep her meager pledge for the building fund, she corrected him in no uncertain terms. Pastor, this is the only thing that I have to give, she said. I have nothing else. I have talked with God about this, and God knows it is in my heart to want to be a part of this building program. I want to do this, and God will see that I have what I need. 
So he took her pledge back to the church with tears in his eyes and joy in his heart. And God was very impressed. These two stories, of course, are tied to today's lesson from the Gospel of Mark. Jesus sat down near where the offerings were gathered in the temple, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts of money, many of them making a show about it. But a poor widow came along and quietly placed two small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny into the offering. And so Jesus called his disciples today uh, together and, and he said, he said, do you see that? You see that widow over there? You see that poor widow over there? She just put more into the offering plate than any one of those rich folks. For you see, they all gave a small portion of their wealth. But she, in her poverty, put in everything that she had to live on. This is one of the best known stories in all of the New Testament, and rightfully so. For it's a story of extraordinary faith. And commitment. But to put the story in its proper context, I think we need to know a little bit more about widows in general in ancient Israel. For you see, widows in biblical days lived extremely difficult lives. As a matter of fact, when the writer of the epistle of James talked about the responsibilities that Christians should have, here is one of the most important responsibilities that he mentions. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Now, some of you know about that distress because you yourself have lost your husband or your wife. And there's a tremendous emptiness and, and loneliness. And sometimes there's a financial burden that goes along with it as well. But at least today, most widows are somewhat provided for. But that was not the case in biblical days. A widow was completely dependent upon her family. She could not inherit from her, her husband. And if she had no children, she had to return to her father's house. And, and if her family, the rest of her family were gone, she was really in trouble. For you see, there were no jobs for widows in those days. There was no social security. There was no welfare system. And they were often being taken advantage of. They were literally in danger of starving to death. You may re remember the story of the widow in First Kings who had the encounter with the prophet Elijah. She was gathering up some sticks to make a fire and Elijah approached her and, and asked the woman for a drink of water and a piece of bread. And, and she replied that she only had enough dough and enough oil for one last meal to feed herself and her son and then they would die. In other words, she was talking about preparing their very last meal before starving to death. You and I can't even imagine such desperate circumstances as this. Think about Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, gleaning wheat from the fields of Boaz. Boaz. 
Can you imagine being dependent on that little bit of wheat that the harvesters left behind as your only source of food or income? This is kind of like digging in the dumpster behind McDonald's for your food. So you see this widow that that Jesus sees at the temple that day, she was indeed in, in a desperate situation. She was down to her last two coins. And what did she do? She gave them to God. What amazing faith. Eric Holstrom of Benford, North Dakota, was preaching one Sunday morning when an elderly woman named Mary fainted and hit her head on the, on the end of one of the pews there. Luckily, there was a, an emergency medical technician in the congregation, and, and he called it for an ambulance. And as they strapped Mar- Mary to the stretcher there and got ready to head for the door, she regained consciousness. And as she did, she, she motioned weakly for her daughter to, to come near. And, and as people were observing all of this, everyone thought that she was summoning her strength to, con- to convey what could be her final words. And so her daughter leaned over to her ear so that she was close to her mother's mouth. And this dear elderly woman whispered in her daughter's ear as they carried her out. My offering is in my purse. (laughs) Now that's an act of devotion, isn't it? The widow in Jesus' story was down to her last two coins. And she gave them to God. And we ask, what was going on here? Why, why would she give her last two coins away? And the scripture does not give us any indication as to what is going on in her mind. But I think that there are some conclusions that we can reasonably draw. And the first one is this. I believe that this widow was demonstrating in what she did. That God came first in her life. You know, there's a battle going on in many people's lives between God and mammon. A battle between Christian faith and materialism. And actually, this could be the most significant spiritual battle taking place in our consumer-driven culture. But this battle between God and mammon is not ours only. No, it's a battle that takes place everywhere we go. Financial counselor Ron Blue tells of um, confronting this battle in a very unexpected place. It seems that while he was visiting a small village in rural Africa, uh, Ron asked the local leader there what was the biggest problem his community was facing. And uh, he expected to hear an answer like the lack of food or the lack of medical attention or or education. But the leader surprised him by saying the biggest problem that we face in our little village here is materialism. (laughs) That's our number one problem. He said, if a man has a hut, has a mud hut, he wants a hut made out of stone. And if he has a thatched roof, he wants a tin roof. If he has one acre, he wants two acres. 
So you see, materialism is a disease of a heart that affects all of us. Bob Buford, who is a wealthy entrepreneur, was struggling with the the priorities in his life. And so he hired a a well-known financial consultant to help him plan his life. And finally, the consultant, who is not a believer, told Bob, I hear two things coming out of your mouth. And he drew a box. And he said, this box represents your life. And then outside of the box, on one side, he put a dollar sign. And on, on the other side, he put a cross representing Christ. He said, I hear two things vying for your attention in your life. And I can't help you plan your life until you tell me which of these things you want in the center of that box, which represents your life. Bob said that that was a turning point that led him to completely commit his life to Jesus Christ. So which comes first? The dollar sign or the cross? This poor widow made her decision that day. She didn't have much in the way of material possessions, but she knew where her priorities lay. And God was first in her life. Then in the second place, I believe that this widow believed that her gift would make a difference. Now, what she was was giving might not have seemed like very much to anybody else around her. But like the boy who gave his fishes and loaves to the master, this widow knew that her gift would make a difference. You might have heard about a lady in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, who made the most out of her meager income. Her name was Osceola McCarty. Ms. McCarty takes in laundry for a living and always has. She's an elderly African-American woman who never married. She dropped out of school when she was in the sixth grade to begin a lifetime of washing clothes. That was the year that her aunt came home from the hospital, unable to walk and and moved in with her family. And so 12-year-old Osceola left school in order to help care for her aunt and to to help her mother and, and grandmother in their backyard laundry business. Well, by the time her aunt had recovered, McCarty thought that she was too far behind to go back to school. I was too big, she said, so I kept on working. And so for the next 75 years, that's exactly what she did. She worked. She would scrub the dark clothes on the washboard and boil the whites in the big black pot in the backyard before hanging them all out on the line to dry. Her day started when the sun came up. It ended when the sun went down. But then when she was 87 years old, Osceola McCarty did something that caught the attention of people everywhere. She gave $150,000, her life savings, to the University of Southern Mississippi for black scholarships. How about that? Now, news reporters and photographers are crawling all over her. Local business people have pledged to match her gift. And and the young woman who received the very first McCarty scholarship has, has all but adopted her. 
McCarty says that the one question that she gets asked more than any other question is this. Why didn't you spend the money on yourself? And with a sly smile on her face, she answers, well, honey, I am spending it on myself. What an amazing story. The widow that Jesus praised did not give $150,000. Or maybe she did over a lifetime. I don't know. You know, we all get excited when somebody gives 50000 or 20000 or 15000 to the church and some churches will put their name under a window or a plaque or something like that. But sometimes we forget about that person who tithes faithfully year after year over their lifetime. And they will often give much more than $50,000 to a church over time. But you know, it's not the amount that matters to God. What matters to God is that it is a true act of commitment. The little bit of money that many of us give to God barely inconveniences us. But the story of this poor widow, we're, in this story, we're not talking about tipping God from our abundance. We're talking about sacrifice. This widow made God the first priority in her life. And she knew that God would use her gift, however small it might be. And one last thing that we can certainly say about this woman's act of faithful, faithfulness. And that is that her faithfulness to God touched others. You know, that's no small thing. I'm sure that when she dropped those two small coins into the offering plate, she had no thought in mind that she would be inspiring us 2,000 years later. But every time this story is told, her example touches a new generation of believers. And it's amazing how God can take the simplest of things and turn them into the most significant. I want to tell you one other little story here. And Greg, it's another 57 cent story. <laughs> but it's not the one that you told. Dr. Bill Henson uh, once told this story about how a small gift touched his life. He was only 18 years old at the time. Bill Henson is a great preacher, a wonderful pastor, and has been for many years. Uh, but when this story took place, he was only 18 years old. He was still in school, and he was preaching the second sermon he had ever preached as an associate pastor at a small church. And as he stood to preach, there was a 10-year-old boy sitting on the front pew. And as 10-year-old boys will do from time to time when they're sitting, especially if their feet can't reach the floor, what do they do? They start swinging their feet back and forth, back and forth like this. This young boy, 10 years old, was sitting on the front pew, swinging his feet back and forth, back and forth. And Dr. Henson said that as a young preacher, he was already nervous. And then he got distracted by this boy swinging his feet back and forth. And so he lost track of what he was trying to say. And he botched that sermon up really bad. And finally, he just said, amen, and finished it. Put everybody out of their misery. Well, as he was standing there at the end of the service in his embarrassment, this 
10 year old boy with the restless legs came up to him and invited him to come home with him and his family for lunch. And so Henson thought that the boy at least owed him that much. <laughs> so he went home with the boy and his family, had a wonderful lunch. And about two weeks later, Henson got a letter from that young boy. And enclosed in that letter was 57 cents. And a note explained that this was all of the profit that the boy had made from his egg money. And he wanted to help Pastor Bill become a better preacher. (laughs) Well, Henson said that that there was no way that he was going to keep that money. So he called the the boy's father to tell him so. and, And the boy's father told him that he couldn't send that money back. He said that that boy had never worked so hard or taken care of his chickens so well. And if he was to send that money back, then the boy would be broken hearted. And so with a lump in his throat and with a deep sense of humility, Henson kept those 57 cents. Well, as the months and years went by, there were many more of those letters with egg money enclosed all through college, all through seminary, the letters would come various amounts of money in it. Sometimes Henson would get discouraged and things were really going hard and he's about ready to just give it up and quit. And then one of those letters would come dollar or two in there. And he knew he couldn't give up. Well, that young boy with the restless yet legs, grew up and became a very successful businessman. As a matter of fact, once he flew in his private jet out to hear Dr. Henson preach. I guess he wanted to see if his investment had paid off. But my guess is that that young boy became successful because he became disciplined quite young in the use of his money including giving his money to good causes. And that's a lesson in and of itself, isn't it? But think about what a great difference that small 57-cent gift made in the life of this struggling young pastor. He couldn't have known that his egg money would yield such an influence over the lifetime of Dr. Bill Henson, any more than that widow could have known that we would be telling her story 2,000 years after she dropped those two coins in the offering plate. But you know, that's the way the things work in the kingdom of God. A little commitment goes a long way. This widow made God first in her life. She knew that even though she didn't have much to give, that what little she did have would make a huge difference because God would bless it. Because what because of what she had done, her life has literally touched the lives of millions of people down through the ages. Like Osceola McCarty in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, if someone had asked that widow why she didn't spend the money on herself, I think she probably would have answered, I am spending it 
on myself. Because she was investing in heaven's treasury. And it is indeed true that only that which we refuse to offer God is ever really lost. But that which we give to God is ours forever. Amen. We're going to sing a hymn of response, number 318, The Nail-Scarred Hand. There may be someone here today who needs to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. Perhaps you've never done that before. And you need to take that step today by saying yes to the grace of God. And it is truly grace. I've been talking a lot today about a woman who gives to God sacrificially. Let me take just a second to talk a little bit about God who gives sacrificially to us. That's what grace is all about. Because not a single person here in this room deserves the forgiveness and the love of God. But God loves us in spite of ourselves sometimes. And that's grace. And that's why God sent Jesus Christ to this earth to die on the cross for us. That our sins may be forgiven because God loves us. If you've never made that commitment to Jesus Christ, I hope you'll do it today. I hope you'll accept the grace of God, accept the love of God, accept the mercy and the forgiveness of sin that God has for you this morning. Perhaps you're looking for a church to be a part of. We invite you to come and unite with our church today. Or maybe you just need a, a time of prayer. We invite you to come for that. If God's dealing in your heart in any way, Come as we sing 318, the nail-scarred hand.
May the God of peace sanctify you entirely that and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do this. Amen.